This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. taking the time to tune in on today and as always a very special welcome to those of you that are tuning in to the podcast for the very first time we are in the midst of a three-part session a really energetic session that i had with the ivory family with spencer ivory and with his daughter ayana uh this is going to be part two of that three-part series so without further ado let's go ahead and dive back in and pick up where we left off last time, backing up a couple minutes, shall we? All right, enjoy. I heard somebody yep. say that early in my career, UX is the voice of reason. And so we have to embrace that, uh, beat back the the order taker mindset, which I think a lot of people today are don't know that we're not order takers. And and then when you get order, when you become an order taker, you, you like signing your own death warrant. From a business perspective, <laughs> it looks like you're about to say something there, Spencer. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you know my daughter brings up a good point about the fact of the scope creep. But the you know the beatback on that is if you just do agile, right? Agile just cuts all that stuff down because now you have your epic. Your epic says this is how big the sky is, and then you break stuff down the stories. You go, this is the story we're working on. I'm sorry. So I think the thing yes. is there are <laughs> there are effective tools to 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 keep all that scope creeps craziness in line because, you know, for the longest time, I don't know where you got involved or got involved with agile development. I hated it because UX just <laughs> did not fit. Yeah. Just could not, I couldn't cram, I couldn't cram waterfall, all that stuff we did in waterfall. And you know, all the stuff that goes on in waterfall into a two week spread. But do you know, over the last, I want to say the last 10 years, I had to embrace it. I learned yeah. the lean UX but do you know the value? If you if if Agile is done correctly, because you know I went back to school, got my my that skin on the wall, and the thing that I learned about Agile design and development is the fact is that you you divide and conquer and you chunk things up, because yes. from that epic that big picture, because the marketing manager comes and go, why well, I want this, I want that, and you go, okay. Fine. Let's let's sit down and write the story for this day. And you go, ain't going to happen, right? Because development is going to say, well, you know, we got a two week sprint. What do we? What do you? What do you want? You got two weeks. What do you want? <laughs> so now you got these stories, right? Yeah. So now everything chunkified for you, and you can control scope creep because you're now you now have, the, as you say, the the charter on the wall, which is the epic. And it says the user's going to do blah, 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 right? You know, he, and he, you know, what, what is it outtake? Well, he wants to do this and this is his goal. And this is what that story. So, you now have these little bite-sized pieces that you can just sort of like keep them on pace and on par. So that's to me, the way you deal with this, the analogous scope creep. Well, the, the project manager says, I interviewed you for this and this is what we want you to do. And he said, okay, let's, 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 okay, you do agile development, great. I, I I always say you do great agile development, yeah. And then now we go. I say okay, here's your epic, 
I lay it all out. Is that to cover everything? Yeah, that covers everything. You know, let's break this up into stories, bite-sized pieces. Mm-hmm. That's and they can't. They can't do that to you anymore. They can't do that to you. And you know, I, I'm telling you, there it works. It is. Yes. It's like yeah. It is. It's like a silver steak. You put in Dracula's heart, right? You go to his crib and you go, bang, dude, you're dead because <laughs> I got I got this steak, and you are now history. And you pound that sucker in, and they just kind of go. Oh, you got me boxed in. I can't do anything. I said, no, if you really want to go back, now you got to go back and do all this other stuff. And then because you put the ownership back on them. Yes. Because yes. you you always come in, you always kind of have to answer all dancing around, answering all these questions. And they're like, well, you sound like you really don't want to do the work. I do want to do the work, but you just keep changing. You're moving the goalposts on me again, right? You know, mm-hmm. the ball the, the ball's here and you move the goalposts. <laughs> so I think the thing is, if you do the agile approach, you just so you you lock them out. You lock them out. That's fantastic. Yes, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, next question or next topic. Spencer mentioned it was a phrase. You were describing something, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to be able to recall exactly what this was. And the phrase you said was doing the right thing. And I think you talked about it a little bit when you were talking about consulting, but I want to revisit that to see if there's anything that we didn't cover. Because I think it's a great concept for people to, a mantra in a sense that people could embrace. How, what is What does it mean to do the right thing? And what does the UX professional get out of doing the right thing? Oh, that's a real big, doing the right thing is, you know, it's part of what, you know, my daughter asked about this, the scope creep. And it's just, it is just a statistic. And I think you have to bring the tools to it. You just can't just go, okay, arbitrarily say, okay, this is that. You know, you, you say, okay, where do you want to play? How do you want to win? You know, what is what is the overall cost of the leadership? The differentiation, are we stuck in the middle and what is the focus? So you get all this stuff happening at the same time, revolving. But I think to to to, to answer that question, it's, it's more about just we 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 think of when we we look at a solution space. We say, okay, I, I have an idea how to solve, but you have to come through experience. It's sort of like what my father and I, because I grew up on a farm. So I'm bouncing around a little bit, but I think that hopefully it'll, I'll come back and it'll make sense. You you plant your seed in the ground and you hope that Mother Nature will work with you and you get your your crop out of the ground. But oftentimes, Mother Nature's fickle. You get more rain than you 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 get dry spells. Like right now, the, the, the earth is being scorched because we just there's not enough water. I mean, it's just so overly hot. I mean, what is what's going on in the UK? People are like the roads are buckling. They're not designed to to handle that. I think when we're in a design space. You have to have the ability to reach into your toolkit to pull out the right tool and apply it to the problem that you're trying to solve. If you're not well-versed in that arena or if you don't have that wherewithal to do that, then it doesn't make you bad or it's a shortcoming on your behalf. But what you have to do is to be learning it enough to go and study and get the right answer. Oftentimes you don't have the right answer, right? But then you have to be smart enough to say, okay, you know, I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. Well, you know, your evening is going to be, I'm going to research that. 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to figure that out. Right. I'm going to ask the right people. I'm going to sit, you know, jot, send out an email. I think the thing is, it's, it's using all your available resources. It's like when you go to grad school and you know, you got that, you got that damn paper to do it in the morning and man, you're like laboring until like five o'clock in the morning. You don't even sleep. There are times when I didn't even sleep when I was doing stuff. But I think the thing is, it's because I wanted to win. I really wanted to show up and show up as an individual. And to show up as an individual, I had to be learned enough to do the extra work. I don't think you, when you get a job, that you stop learning. I think when you're in that environment, and especially in the corporate world, you have to understand where is the tipping point for you to win? Who are those people that you need to engage with? What are the things that that organization do and they don't do well? So I think if you can do those things, you can do a good job, Darren. I mean, I think you could you could assess what needs to be done, but it's different. Each problem is different. There is no blueprint, if I will, if you will, to, mm-hmm. that sort of addresses that in a nutshell. You you have to go to the environment and figure it out because some organizations are learning organizations. Some organizations are just stuck in the past. They're just going to do it the way they do it. They want to do it, and you either conform or you walk, or you figure out a way, Is there? do you have a someone on that staff who's willing to listen to you? Does he have any power in, in, the, in, the, in the organization to, to step up, to help out, or can he, can, it's sort of like finding who, who, who will champion your cause within that organization, because otherwise you have to do it yourself. And if you have to do it yourself, you have to, you know, as I said, dig for it. Yeah, you remind me, before we jump over to Ayana on this one, you remind me of something I say all the time. UX is about more than just the work. It's about yeah. more than prototypes. It's about more than personas. It's about more than all those things. And and that becomes the bulk of who we are and how we drive value. They just Everything you just said, that's like, you didn't mention anything about Figma. Well, the tools are immaterial, man. You're right. The tools are immaterial. Because you know when you come... When you come in, you gotta let out some tracks, man. And that environment may require a, just a simple flow chart or uh, something, but you have to be in tuned enough to listen to what they're trying to say. And then how do you move them from where they're currently at to where they wanna be? And if you could help. And then sometimes, Darren, the hard part is saying, you know what, I can't do this. or. I don't think I'm the right person to do that for you because you have other dynamics that are going on that I have no control over. So you bring, you tell the truth. You have to be a truth sayer and, and be honest about who you are, what your skill sets are and what environment you're trying to do and what problems you're trying to solve. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Ayana. Yes. So this all sounds great. But when you have a client, so I work with more small businesses, right? And you, um, you guys work with more corporations. So small businesses, it's usually like two, three, four, five people max on the team. Um, there's one decision maker. And, um, you know, my issues come up with design decisions. And sometimes they want something that's just you know, this, this is, these colors do not go together at all. We can look at the color wheel or this, this font with all these serifs, it it looks hideous. You know, if you look at it 
Um, this, you, you don't want to use a gradient in your look. So it's like, I'm coming from my design background and telling them they think it's my opinion, but it's like, it's through my schooling, through my learning, they're digging their heels in the ground, even though I'm telling them the truth. So this is another issue that I run into with consulting. That's a really hard thing. I'm telling them the truth, like, "Mm, you know, in my professional opinion, it doesn't look that great. And you know, here's why, but they're like, no, this is what I like. I want to go for it. And so it comes to a point to where it's like, I, of course I'm going to continue and working with this client because I need the, this job or do I stop and say, Oh, this is going to, I'm not going to put this in my portfolio. I'm going to stop this job. <laughs> need somebody else to, to do this for you. So there's well, always that factor too. Right. 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 Well, the two, two, think, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Spencer. I think the part about consulting is when you write in those walls, I always have like two or three, two or three jobs rolling, streaming. I keep my pipeline full for those various occasions. You know, I say, you know what? I just don't think this is going to work out for us. And you leave, right? You, you go because you don't want to put a bad lick out there. Why? Because you've got other things in the pipeline. Remember I tell you about this, you know, Yana, you and I always had this conversation, keep that pipeline full. And that's the part about consulting that's challenging, right? You have projects that overlap, right? And sometimes you're working for two clients or three clients. If your pipeline is adequately stocked, and that's the other part about being a consultant, you're, you're not only doing work, you're, you're looking for new work. And that's just the way the business is. And until I learned that, that was a trick that solved keeping my lights turned on and to keeping my bank account in the, in the positive and paying off all my bills and creditors and debt because I kept my pipeline full. Mm-hmm. And in those scenarios, when you have a client that is sort of just not getting it, then don't wait. You know, so you have people that just don't waste my time. Yeah. You could know, be, you could be tactful, you could be tactfully tactful and honest at the same time. Don't waste my time. Yeah. A couple of things came to mind with what Iona said for me. Uh, what, it was funny as you were describing that, Ayana. I start having flashbacks, and it's it's funny. I've worked all the way up to Fortune fifty, and I've worked for mostly mostly for big corporations, but I've also worked for a lot of. I've been very fortunate, uh, and most of the companies I worked for, if they weren't a Fortune one thousand company or greater, they were tops in their field. Uh, I worked for the top. Uh, uh, what do they call it? The autonomous pharmacy company. I don't think they're Fortune 500, but they're number one in their field. Uh, I work for the top retail mortgage company in, in America. I work for the top. Um, uh, what do they call that? The uh, wholesale mortgage company in America. They weren't Fortune. I think I think one company is in the Fortune uh, one one thousand or five hundred now. But but the problems that come up, they're actually the same. <laughs> I, I did a, I was working once, we were redesigning the internet site for, I believe, a Fortune 50 company. We got to the, we had the statement of work laid out. Everybody knew what we were going to do. Talk about scope creep. They they kept changing things, but, but basically speaking, I would come back. Okay, this is what we agreed upon. This is what we said we wanted to do. I got all the information. This is what I'm, our starting point from the wireframes, let's go over this with the stakeholders and we'll go from here. We'll proceed. 
We go through three, three versions of wireframes. And then I think that we're set when we get to version three and we're ready to start headed towards development. And, okay, well, let us go get some more stakeholders and see what they think. Long story short, <laughs> by the time we got to version 48 of the wireframes, no joke, 48 renditions, revisions. Do you know that, and after hundreds of stakeholders have come in at every point to give their two cents, every time I thought that we had buy-in, they would always go and bring in more stakeholders. I remember being in a meeting once where there had to be at least 100 stakeholders in the room, this gigantic room at this company going over things and giving their two cents. We got to version 48 of the wireframes, do you know that version 48 of the wireframes was almost identical to version three? Almost identical yeah. to version three. Uh, that, was, that was a month before I left the company. I was, I'm, I'm done. And I pulled the consultant and I moved, I moved along. I got on my horse and I rode out of town into the sunset. Uh, because it's like, and, and, and they said that same thing too. Uh, Darren, that's your opinion. No, there's a difference between opinion and expert opinion. And everybody has an opinion but everybody doesn't have an expert opinion. And I had to explain that. And, and, and it just became so counterproductive. And, and I don't even know if they ever even redesigned that internet. One of the biggest internet sites in the world, actually. And, and uh, it just turned into nothing. So I, I have found, and I, I did freelance web design where I was applying UX principles to my work back in the late 90s is when it started. And some of the things that people would do, the, 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 everywhere you work, somebody's going to come in and say, "Google does it like this," and then yeah, drop them, oh, and then yeah. drop the microphone. And, and I'm like, "Google is not without flaw." <laughs> you know, Apple does it like this. Oh, you mean the old gray text on the white background that they finally woke up about and changed it back to black because nobody could read the text on the site? And then uh, by that, by the time they changed it, thousands of companies. Have people come into meetings and say Apple does it like this, and they change, and to this day still have the great text on the white background because Apple does it like this. People don't understand the difference between uh, expert opinion and opinion, and so, yeah, I, it just it just made me think about that. They'll we we go through some of the same. So I, I don't you probably already know that your dad prior to it, it. The battles are the same. the The article readers, as I call them, they're the same. They work everywhere. Uh, the people that are going to commoditize UX. They're everywhere. And that's why we got to love what we do. I tell people that all the time because there's always somebody somewhere that's going to make you feel like, what in the world am I doing here? And it, I, I don't know if you saw, folks saw the, a post I did recently where we went to a meeting and the, the uh, stakeholder goes, you know, uh, the users told me that they'd like to do X, Y, and Z. And I said, well, you know, we can always test that, but we don't want to just implement it because they said what they like because users tend to say one thing and do another, right? Now, we all know that. You know what this guy said? Uh, I've never heard that before. Myself and two other colleagues that were with me started belly laughing because we thought he was kidding. And then by the time our eyes opened, we were laughing so hard, he was still, he was sitting there looking at us like, what's so funny? He was dead serious, and we could not do research. We couldn't get approval to do the research because of his attitude. So just funny, the nightmarish stories that come up in UX, but they just, 
they just keep popping up over and over again. It, it just made me think about that. So be, be encouraged. And everybody out there, I ought to be be encouraged. They're gonna, yeah. But I, you'd be surprised. Our battles are, they're they're the same. Be it five people, five hundred people, a hundred people in a room. Everybody got their own agenda. As we were talking about the internet, and so, and they don't even realize that about the bias that's at work, in 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 what they're doing and how they're responding. Uh, we're here to herd those cats. But they don't respond to us because they don't, you know. And that's UX is always the baby in the room, too. Anytime, anytime you get that team that comes together, that multidisciplinary team, UX is always the one that nobody understands. We've only been around for so long, and so they feel like they can poo-poo us off. After all, we just come along just to make things look better. Anyway, so it's just funny. No, no, it's just <laughs> everybody's everybody's an expert, right? You, you know that when you walk the room, right? You, if you ask the prisoner why you're in jail, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, you know, come on, man. Look at the audience you're asking, right? <laughs> it's one of those things that, you know, if you, it's true. If you're a, a, a criminal who's all his whole life is about crime, and if you ask him, did you do anything wrong? Oh, God, no. And, dude, why are you, why are you, why were you arranged on this? Why are you arranged on this? And you, you look at this track sheet. I think, see, you know, corporations, I think, they look for yes people to corroborate what they're saying. Yeah. But then you have a few who are in that corporation who understand the relativity truth. And you, you know, I think one of the things, one of the things I that that I that I've now kind of went back and looked at some of Steve Jobs, his old videos, and they're out there. And you know, he spoke a lot about the truth about users. And acknowledging what they do, what they say they want, and they do something different. Mm-hmm. And I've sat, I've sat through so many usability tests. I've done so many, and I've done usability tests around the world. I mean, India, you know, China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, and I've seen even cultural things, cultural definitions of stuff. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And users are users. They say one thing, they do something different. Right. And I think that's the, the beauty of what we do. If you understand that and you, and you just sit there and you go through these meetings and sometimes it's, you know, I listen to the noise or the radio volume, right. You got, and you were right. They'll give you like 40, 50 different renditions of it. And then finally you just say, I'm either going to hang in here long enough or you look at your watch, you start looking down at your watch when we were doing face-to-face meetings and let them know that, you know, you're either, and I went, I go, are you bored now? I go, well, I'm getting there. You know, I'm getting to the point where you guys don't get it. You know, and, and they're like, well, we're paying you. I said, I know you're paying me. I said, but I said, now we're wasting money. It's because we were just, we're running from the truth and you're trying to make something that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter how I tell it or rephrase it or show you the results. But I think the one that the, what the beauty is, if you've done the usability testing, you can run the tapes back, right? You, you can run those, you can run those, those clips through their, through their, through their evaluation. That's the only leverage you have. But if you don't have that type of ammunition, and that's why I said you have to do your research when you, when these guys start coming out of the woodworks on you, you have to have some, as I said, the, I hate to use the word Trump, but you have that card in your back pocket and go, you pull it out and go, 
you know what? You want to play this card because here's here's the reasons why you want to play this particular card. Yeah. Right. So it's it's being able to 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 have something in your back pocket to to play it at the right appropriate time. Absolutely. And you touched on the next topic. So we're going to pick on that and go, go there. The dangers of placating as a UX professional. You were talking about this during the warm up. So let, let's go back to that. You just touched on it there yeah. a moment. So let's go back there. You know, that, that whole notion of when you, you know, you, you introduce yourself and you, you the crowd kind of goes, yeah, he's the guy, you know, like when they introduce the player on the football, thing, you know, when he comes in, they're going to score a touchdown. Or who's, who's the guy from Gold State Warriors, Yanni, that who, every time he hits his hand, he's hitting threes all the time. Steph. Oh, Steph Curry. Oh, with Steph Curry. Yeah, with Steph, <laughs> yeah, when Steph gets the ball, you know, he's going to knock down on three, man. He, he, he Twos, I mean, he pass. He'll he'll jump in. He'll jump in two. He go, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this three on you, right? And I think <laughs> you, when you when you placate people, I think you have to, or you're in that thing and you're using that type of, shall we say, leverage. You have better know what you're doing and who the audience that you you're working with, because that can come back and haunt you, man. Because you you know you you put it out there and. You know, people Google stuff, right? This is a right. You know, I Google, right? Okay, you know, you hear that all the time. People take those phrases. I mean, hey, one guy he was writing down everything I said. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> I wrote down everything you said in that meeting, and I and I went and I did this, and you're like, oh my god. So you you so you know you you know the audience. You got to know your audience, but at the same time, you have to be careful about how you establish your priorities and what you're going to use as your, your milestones and your go-tos to, to move that conversation along. Because when you start placating people, it's sort of like the aha moment. And you, you know, people at meetings, they go, aha, and they hit their head knob, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then you, you're in a sense, you're placating because you may or may not know what that person is talking about, but you're sort of just sort of fencing to make yourself feel good to fit in in that conversation. Right. And so you 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 say things that you probably would normally you wouldn't normally say. So I always have to catch myself, too, sometimes because we're humans. Right. We're, we're humans. Right. We we live in the real world and the real world says, you know, you know, sometimes you just got to oh, I got to buster a little bit here because I want to make myself. And I remember doing that in my earlier part of my career. I'm not going to lie because I had to go, OK, you're either short on knowledge or time or you just didn't know. Right before you really learn to say there are no dumb questions, and you can raise your hand to say you know I didn't get that right and you know and I think the smart people will ask that question because those are the ones in the audience that you better watch out because they're going to ask those dumb questions because you know that person he's not asking that question because he doesn't know he's asking you either to repeat yourself to either find out whether you you understand what you really think you know or what you don't know. Or is that really the course? Because we, we we all too often look at user experience as the 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 you representing user experience as the go to person who knows everything. And quite often, sometimes I don't know users all that well, right? 
you know, I don't have all that empirical data, right? You know, it's like, you know, my wife is a data scientist, right? So sometimes this company in San Francisco, for example, here again, you know, they asked me to design this, this, this interaction on a, in a virtual whiteboard. But what they want to do is they wanted to capture all the people who were in the, in the brainstorming session to, to evaluate their, 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 what I call the numbers, all the roll-ups, what does the curve look like when you have all these different people voicing opinions and how many dots do they get to place? Because it's sort of like, you know, when you, when you're doing the, 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 the Xfinity diagrams or you group things, right? Now you got all these groups. Okay. Now we got to put dots on those groups, right? You know, what's, what's, what business goals really resonate the most with you guys in this room because they're all managers or whomever they're. So they got to put dots on them. Right. And you say, okay, everybody get, Three dots. You can either sign them all in one part card or you can spread them across or you give them five, whatever the number is. So what we were doing in San Francisco was trying to resonate this stuff. But at the same time, when I was trying to get them to understand, you know, because I had to go and get some more research. And I said, you know, I, so I said, hey, how do we do this and map this stuff back to a visual diagram? Because visuals help illustrate the story. But then if you don't have those visuals and you start propping people up with using just terms to make them feel good, or you're using things that you probably don't know all that well, you're, you're, you're lying to the, to the audience. And then, as I said, people couldn't Google, right? So you're, yeah, that, that position you were holding, you know, was a false position, right? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a house of cards, right? And someone will come along, kick, kick those. So I just, you know, I learned early on in my career, that you just, you just got to talk facts to facts. If you don't know something, you don't know it. And you just say, you know what? I don't know it, but tomorrow I'll have an answer for you or I'll get an answer for you because I think I have some friends who are in this building just do my due diligence. But that's your job, isn't it? As a UX designer, to do your job. You you have to research not only within the confines of what you do, but to to ask questions of other individuals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ayana, was your hand up? Okay, I missed you. Okay, I'll make sure I don't miss you. We're gonna. We are running short on time, so I'm gonna skip one topic. But let's let's reconvene to talk about UX hiring uh, another time. But we're gonna move to our closing topic. And how do I'm sure both of you have something on this one? How do you view the current trajectory of UX as a discipline? What do you see is happening in UX? What direction are we headed? What's good? What's bad? What do you see? You want to start this one off, Ayanna? Yeah, I'll start it off. I'll keep my my answer a little bit more (laughs) concise. But it's because, you know, I'm I'm kind of in um, the budding ground. I work with learners who are 16 to 25 years old, and they're learning how to code. They're learning these languages. Um, they're learning about like what they want to do and what they, what products they would create for the world. So they're experiencing social media firsthand before, before our generation, your generation has. And so um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm really hopeful that this trajectory of user experience and design has a little bit more, uh, I want to say like compassion uh, a moral compass, uh, even with the, the data collection as well, um, and just has more of a interactive approach because all of these t- 
tools that are that they've been using for creating content have been so dynamic, right? So there was like, and I'm going to talk about social media tools like Vine. You created a six second video and then, you know, corporations caught onto it and they wanted to have advertising. And so it was easy to create content that way. And then TikTok came out um, after, you know, years later and you can create longer videos. And so I think just from that standpoint and the users that are using it from this generation, this younger generation, that it's just going to be a little bit more dynamic and just easier to create um, different types of multimedia um, that's coming out right now. Awesome. Awesome. And folks need to consider those things too. I'm I'm entering TikTok, by the way. I can't wait to see what you come up with. I saw a lot of garbage out there. Well, we're going to go and clean up the water a little bit. Uh, I haven't produced anything since I did my intro, but it's coming. It's coming. TikTok, let me tell you one thing about TikTok. It's becoming um, the second most searchable tool next to Google. Heard that. People are going to TikTok to learn how to do things more than Google now. That's amazing. That's amazing. I actually just started rolling out this week what I call a UX skills inventory. And I think that may be what I start doing and just start rolling out, producing these little two minute videos that talk about UX skills and how you do an inventory to to really take charge of that self-examination, that self-awareness component of where you are and then the steps you need to take in order to build that part of your UX acumen. And I think these young users are going to take that and create niche products that speak to us or, or them or whoever they're creating for because they know who they are on the inside mm-hmm. and know how to create products that will speak to them and that are adapted to that, to that, um, to that group. That's a really nice evolutionary aspect of that. Hopefully I, I get to observe it and understand what I'm, what I'm seeing by, based on what you just described. We can see it, but I, I like the way that that, I like how that sounds and I like the, the innovation, so to speak, that, uh, that, that comes into play with that, that people can see something and recognize how does this grow? What does this transition to? What does it translate into? And then go ahead and take it to that next level or the next two or three or four levels. So that's, that's fantastic. Love to hear that. I see that look on Spencer's face. He's ready. What do you, what do you see, sir? No, 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 no. I, I listened to my, my daughter talk about these, these, these avenues into design. And, and this part of that quite the discussion I had yesterday with this manager, should, should I get, take a, take the step next, uh, take a step further with her or get in, you know, get involved with them is some of that. Right. Um, and I think this where the evolution of design is going and they keep talking about, well, AI is going to design everything. Okay. AI is going to either interpret what we say and kind of like translate it. I know when I was working on artificial intelligence for, for NASA Ames, um, I was a knowledge engineer and, you know, we were, uh, you know, we would crash chips. I at the time Texas instrument was building the fastest processor. I'd write code. And the machine would run like two or three days trying to trans human interaction, <laughs> how humans, 
how humans do things is just like a complexity of rules. Yes. But we fire off this stuff in our head like it's just automatically, as we say, automatically. And then you try to write it in a language so the computer could do it. Mm -mm. I, I I don't say I don't see it happening because processing powers, you know, it's it's, it's jumping leap folds. But human reasoning is a hard thing. Yeah. Right. And you know, computers that they it's like a fourth they're what is it, they a four-year-old? Is it I think that they're up to the level of a four-year-old. And I don't think they're ever gonna get past that because there's so much uh duplicity of meaning of words that we use to describe things mm -hmm. that you'd have to write a dictionary on a couple words because they could be used in so many different ways. So now you got TikTok, right? It's it's eclipsing, you know, the YouTube videos, right? And you know, it's just sort of like unrehearsed, kind of like off the cuff. Oh, this is me. This is all about me. This is how I do stuff. You're like, really? You know, do I really care? First of all, I would say, do I really care? You know? I always ask myself, do I really care? No, I don't. Because I'm not say stuck in my ways. It's sort of like I'm sharing, those people are sharing who they are. So it's the messaging that we're the next curve of UX is going, how do I mess, get my message out there to other people to get them embrace and engage? It's sort of like this Bitcoin collapse, right? I don't know how much Bitcoin you bought or how deep you were involved. <laughs> Zero. Yeah, it's for me because I, I kept saying unregulated. And you know, we're playing stock markets, you still get shook out, right? You you know, we got a regulated market, you can still lose everything. And we're playing talking about unregulation. It's like, what the hell are people thinking? <laughs> you know, you're putting what kind of money in an unregulated market. So I think the whole thing is the messaging because they 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 took the messaging of Bitcoin, they phrased it, oh, you're gonna get rich. And I had people like sending me emails. Oh, you're so stupid. You're, you're stuck in your ways. I said, no, I said, because I'm looking at the rules of engagement. Your message is telling me I should be ruthless and crazy. I've lost enough money. I was in the dot-com boom, right? I had stock options and, you know, I was on paper financially set for the rest of my life. Right. I leveraged against those options because I thought that I could go, I want to be a million. I want to be a billionaire. And then I woke up one day, the market had collapsed. So the reality, so this is the whole reality. So we, it's the messaging. So it, when you bring this all back, it's the messaging where that next evolution of UX is going because people seem to believe that is the thing that you want to do. I see it as ease of use, and we kind of overuse the word ease of use, we move, we're moving past having to fill out forms to uh, to do things in an economical way is where I think user experience can pay back people. But as far as TikTok is concerned, you know, it's it's a flash in the pan, right? It, it's 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 the it's the hot thing, you know. The guy, what did he do? He he had some juice drink and he hit like a he. What was the one where some some dude was riding his uh, bicycle or his motor scooter, doing the juice thing, and he like cranberry he, juice. Yeah, the cranberry juice dude, <laughs> and he crushed it. Skateboard. Yeah, but the, yeah, it, but see, Darren, that that just tells me the the simplicity of our society has gotten to the point where simple is too damn simple. 
right? And it, to me, it's like, well, I'm sorry. I'm just not going there, right? And it's about the messaging, the tool. I'm, I'm more about making us more, making human beings more integrated with technology without technology taking over their life and being pervasive and, and, and doing them injustice. I'm more about just the mundane things without having to always have to repetitiously do things. The simple things should be simple. Uh, the hard things should become simpler to do. That's where I go. That's what I'm thinking. And there's still a lot of hard problems to be solved out there, right? Mm -hmm. But we just sort of like fashionably gone TikTok-ish, right? Or we're, we're Twittered <laughs> out, right? Or Elon, we're Musk out. Elon's buying the company or he's not buying the company. And he's a dick, by the way, right? Because he's, he's never lined up on the right. He's, he's never lined up behind the arrows behind one one topic or another, but the guy's like all over the map. Or oh, he's having kids by all these other women. I'm like, dude, what is he doing? Because he's got money, money and power. And this leads into the problem of our society. I'm going to close with this because it just nags at me. It seems that people with the money are driving the curve, right? And now they've they've gotten themselves down. They wanted to, to change the lie. If you didn't win, you didn't win. <laughs> if the votes and vote, the votes and add up for your favorite, then you just take the back seat, go sit down someplace, man, and run again. <laughs> Don't try to sell a lie and make everybody believe it. It's so you know, so it's, so this is that's the messaging, right? Yeah. That messaging. We have to be careful how we message and use that user experience of messaging to convince other people yeah. about things that are potentially harmful. And there, there are people with master's degrees who believe that lie. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sad. PhDs. PhDs. And I'm sorry <laughs> that I thought one plus one was always two. Always two. Yep. I say the same thing. <laughs> you can't imagine things happening and then say, well, no, I, I think I won. So therefore I won. And, you know, and, and it's just, I don't know where where are we going? That's the user experience, right? We're we're telling each other lies and believing them. And I think, and Diana, I told you this too. I that whole social media stuff, it's kind of fringe edge and it's out of control because yeah, anybody can anybody can do a platform, and if you get people to lie enough, they start believing that stuff. So off the charts. I'm gonna try to, and I'm away from it, but we got to got to control the messaging. Let's solve the problems that we can solve that produces tangible results for humanity. Yes, not just a buzzword, not buzzwords. I'm sorry, the grapefruit juice guy. What was he writing? What was it? What he was writing a motorcycle, and it's so. I mean, there's just. I was just saying, like TikTok has been an inspirational platform for all of these people, right? And that then there would be more niche products for people to create these like social interactivities. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. You know, I'll leave you with the last <laughs> one. You know what dad, you know, dad's old school and how I feel about social media, right? Social media got us into this mess a long time ago. And that was back when Facebook did his, it did his, did it say but anyway sorry there <laughs> 
Okay, everybody, I think that's a great place to stop for today. Join us again next week as we share the conclusion of this three-part series. We hope you heard something that stirs you up, something that helps you along on your UX journey, something that gives you some food for thought that furthers you along your way. So that's all the time we have for today, though. So until next week, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.